Amen. Please remain standing if you're able and turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 32. Genesis chapter 32, page 27 in the Pew Bible. We'll be reading through verse 23, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's holy word. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the hill country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother." From the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, and 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? 
where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. We'll end our reading of the scripture there. You may be seated. Last week we saw that meeting between Jacob and Laban. We saw them making a covenant together. It was Laban who initiated that covenant. He did that because he was fearful. He was fearful of Jacob. Jacob had become so great uh, and strong and rich, and while he himself had become relatively poor, and of course he'd done so much wrong to Jacob, he was afraid that Jacob would one day, now that he was so strong, would, would one day come back and try to get revenge uh, for all the bad that Laban had done to him. But after making that covenant, they had peace. They even had that fellowship meal together. So Laban felt better. He felt safe knowing uh, that Jacob wasn't going to come after him one day in the future. So he's gone. He's gone home now. He finally is out of the picture. And that must have been a great relief to Jacob. He really needed to get away from that man and the way he'd been treated by him. And now it's just him and his family and all their possessions, and they can move forward, and they do that as they continue on their way home to Canaan. But Jacob's worries are not over. Now, someone else looms large before him, as we've seen in reading this passage, and this was someone who had very good reason to be angry with him. Laban didn't have good reason to be angry with Jacob, but Esau did. Esau was the brother that Jacob had cheated and defrauded so many years earlier. When we last saw Esau, when Jacob last saw him, Esau uh, hated his guts, wanted to kill him, was plotting to kill him when their father died. And so for all these years since then, uh, since Jacob uh, stole Isaac's blessing from Esau, Esau has presumably been angry about it. And Jacob certainly thought so. 
but God's been working. God's been working on Jacob, changing him, changing his heart, changing his character. He feels remorse over what he'd done to Esau. No doubt his conscience had bothered him all those years for the way he behaved. And now it's time to meet again with his brother. These two brothers are about to meet again. And yet Jacob had good reason to be encouraged. At the end of chapter 31, we saw how he confessed his faith in the Lord. He's not the same man he was before. He'd come to know the Lord in a real and living way. He knew him as the God who had prospered him and protected him all those years. And he expressed a a deep personal trust in the Lord. He's grown. He's grown in his faith. But will he keep that strong faith and confidence in the Lord as he's about to have this very fearful encounter with Esau? We shall see. In verses 1 and 2, we see God intervening to strengthen Jacob's faith in this fearful time. And that's so beautiful. Look at verses 1 and 2. Jacob went on his way, we're told, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. Remember a a similar time many years earlier when Jacob was on his way out of the promised land. The Lord gave Jacob uh, a vision of the angels of God ascending and descending on that ladder, that stairway uh, to heaven. And the Lord himself standing at the top. And in, in that vision, he was encouraging Jacob in a very fearful time, a time of uncertainty. Jacob was uh, leaving his family. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. And the Lord encouraged him and helped him to know that he was with Jacob and he would take care of him. And here God encourages him in a very similar way now that he's going back home. And he's about to face Esau. He encourages him with these angelic vision, uh, visitors. It reminds me of Psalm 34, verse 7. A familiar verse. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. That's what Jacob's learning here through this wonderful angelic visit. God was with him. God was his protector. And God, in a fresh way here, reminds him of that. These angels are a testimony to that. They're a testimony to God's presence and God's faithfulness to his people. He's still with Jacob to protect him and bless him. And he's with us. God is with his people. We can't see him 
That's one of the greatest challenges of being God's people. He is not visible to us, but we have his word to believe. He has spoken to us in the scriptures, and it's so full of wonderful promises. And the main promise that flows through the scriptures all the way from beginning to end, you might say the theme of all the scriptures is this one great promise that he will be with us. He's always with his people. And that's what Jacob needed to know in this instant. In this fearful time, he needed to believe that the Lord was with him. God himself is with his people. And he wants us to believe this too. Always, and especially in those very difficult times, fearful times in life. He never leaves us. Wherever we are, whatever our circumstances are, he is with us and he's upholding us. Now, one thing that's interesting about this this passage and this encounter that's about to happen between these two brothers, Jacob didn't really have to, uh, to do this, at least not at this point. He didn't have to go near Esau. He didn't have to go anywhere near Esau in order to get to where he was going in the land of Canaan. He was coming down from the north, entering the land from up north, but Esau is way down in the south. Jacob was planning to go to Bethel. Bethel is in the north. So he could have avoided Esau altogether, or at least postponed Uh, this fearful visit. So it's interesting to know that it's Jacob who initiates this meeting. It wasn't Esau. Esau comes and he seems to come in force. We almost think he's the one uh, driving this meeting, but it isn't. It's Jacob. It was Jacob's choice. He wanted to meet with his estranged brother. And this tells us something. It tells us again that Jacob has grown. He's really grown. Despite how fearful this encounter was, despite how how, uh, worried he probably was about this for a long time, he wanted to make things right with his brother. He wants reconciliation. He knows that he has to at least try That's a beautiful thing. We read in our New Testament reading earlier that the Lord wants his people to strive to live at peace with all men as far as that's possible. Sometimes it's not always possible, but we can do all that we can. As far as it's possible, we ought to strive to make that happen. And we see that here. We see that the Lord had impressed that upon Jacob. And he sincerely wants to make peace with his brother. And that's so beautiful. And so in light of his plan to do this, it's interesting how the Lord sent these angels. He shows Jacob these celestial warriors, if you will, that surround him to encourage his heart, to prepare his heart for this fearful meeting. God wants Jacob 
to trust in him uh, in the face of this fearful encounter. Isn't that good? That God would give that encouragement, showing Jacob these angels that are with him, the angels of God, these mighty angels. Esau doesn't stand a chance. No matter how much might and power he brings, if he seeks to do ill to Jacob, these angels are there. God is so kind to give that comfort and consolation. He's so kind to remind us of his care and protection in our lives. And we don't have visions like this. Uh, We can't see the angels, but God gives us that encouragement in his word. The encouragement that he's with us, encouragement that he upholds us with his righteous right hand. He's our protector, our provider. And he's pleased when we believe these things. And we receive the encouragement of the scriptures like that. He's pleased when we trust in him. Well, some have pointed out that uh, this comfort and this assurance came to Jacob uh, while he was walking in obedience to God. And that's worth thinking about. Remember, God had told him to come back to the land of Canaan. And Jacob obeyed. He was walking in that path of obedience to the Lord, to the Lord's word. And think about that. God calls us to walk in obedience to his word. And as we do that, he blesses us. He blesses us in many ways. He blesses us with a deeper sense of assurance of our relationship with him. He blesses us with a a stronger assurance of his grace toward us and his help. Certainly, uh, we receive a a greater sense of assurance of our salvation uh, when we're walking with the Lord in obedience to his word as opposed to walking in sin. Assurance is hard to come by when you're living in disobedience. But as we repent, as we seek to obey the Lord and live godly lives, well, then God's Spirit gives us reassurance to comfort us, and He strengthens our faith. So when you endeavor to actively trust and obey the Lord, you'll find this to be true. Your assurance of His grace and help will be strengthened. Next, Jacob sends his servants on ahead of him to meet Esau. And he told them to give Esau this message. And listen to the way Jacob refers to himself and the way he refers to Esau. He says, tell Esau this. Thus says your servant Jacob. I've sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have all these possessions and, and people. And I've sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. 
This is a very humble message, a message of peace that he's sending to his brother. You see the humility in the way he refers to himself and the way he uh, speaks to Esau. He says, brother, God has blessed me. I'm coming back, but I don't want to take anything from you. I want to bless you. And he humbles himself here before Esau. He speaks humbly of himself, and he speaks very highly of Esau. One writer says, Jacob's words were filled with repentance. This was not the kind of man Jacob was long ago. And he mentions all these animals as well as a hint that he wants to make things right. He wants to make amends with Esau. He's not boasting about all that he has. He intends to give a lavish gift to his brother. So the messengers brought that, that humble message to Esau. But there was no verbal response back. Instead, the messengers returned with uh, a sober, fearful message. They said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you with 400 men. That is an ominous statement. Esau and a small army are on their way. Now, why he chose to do that, why he chose to come with 400 men, we don't know. Maybe he was unsure uh, of Jacob. Jacob was such a deceiver before. Maybe this is another deception on Jacob's part. Maybe Jacob intended to make war against him. We don't really know what his motives were for gathering this small army, but Jacob feared the worst. And on the one hand, I don't think he's overreacting. The last time he saw his brother, we know that he, Esau wanted to kill him. And now it looks like he's coming to finish the job. What we do see here is Jacob's faith being put to the test. And often God will grow our faith by bringing frightening, difficult circumstances into our lives, doesn't he? He does that in such a way that uh, things are beyond us. We know we can't handle these things ourselves, and we have to rely on him. We have to look to him for help. And that's what we see here with Jacob. He's frightened. Verses 7 and 8 says, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he's shaken. He's, he's panicking. We're told he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps because he thought if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, well, then the other will escape. He feared Esau. He thought Esau is up to no good. There's no doubt he was fearful, Jacob. But his faith didn't fail completely here. That's not what we see. No, he stayed the course by faith. 
and he faced his fear. It's something we need to think about. Faith and fear are not mutually exclusive things. Often, our faith is mixed with fear, isn't it? Just because we have faith doesn't mean that we're exempt from fear, that we don't experience fear. That's just not even realistic. That's not how it is. We face fear all the time, very often. And yet we have faith in the midst of that as believers. John Calvin said, those who fancy that faith is exempt from all fear have never experienced the true nature of faith. Living in faith is about trusting God in the midst of fear. God uses our fearful troubles and trials in our lives to test our faith, to exercise our faith, to grow our faith in Him. Calvin goes on there to say, God does not promise that He will be present with us for the purpose of removing the sense of all our dangers, but in order that fear may not prevail and overwhelm us in despair. He doesn't take away our fears. Instead, he's present with us in those fearful times and troubles. We're all going to face those times in our lives. If you're not in one right now, you will be. Or you probably have been already. And when we're in those times, we wish God would take them away. We wish he would just alleviate our fears completely by removing that trial or trouble, whatever it may be. Again, he doesn't do that. Most of the time, he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, I will be with you. I will uphold you. Make me your refuge. Trust in me. And when we do that, when we trust in the Lord, our faith grows. Our relationship with him grows. And we find that his grace really is sufficient for us. I don't know about you, but I don't know if my faith would grow. And I don't know if I would grow closer to the Lord if it were not for those circumstances in my life that the Lord brings into my life that force me to trust in him. He's good even to allow and send those things into our lives that they accomplish that purpose. Well, we see evidence of Jacob's faith here in this prayer that he makes. And what a prayer this is in verses 9 to 12. Let's read it again. He said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. 
For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me and the mothers and the children. But you said, listen to that. He says, but Lord, you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. What a great prayer that is. That is a believing prayer. Jacob is believing God's promises. He's pleading God's promises back to him. He's pleading with God to keep his word. Lord, keep your promise that you made. He's fearful. He feels a sense of desperation. Uh, He needs God to help him. He needs God to save him and his family. And so he prays in this way. He says, Lord, I had nothing, and you blessed me. And you sent me out, and you brought me back here. You told me to come back here like this, and here I am. So now I'm trusting you to save me. I'm trusting you to help me, to protect me and my family. This is just how God wants us to call upon him, to look to him in prayer. For our salvation in Christ, certainly, but also for all our needs. We need to confess that we are unworthy of these good things that he does for us and of having him in our lives. We're unworthy of him doing anything good for us. But he's promised to save us through his son if we trust in him. And we do trust in him. And so we can have full confidence that he will do what he said. And we can trust in him that way as we pray for the provision that we need in this life as well. Our protection provision, whatever we may need in this life. This is a beautiful model prayer for us, pleading God's promises back to him. And his concluding words in verse 12 there make it clear that he is not trusting in himself anymore. Lord, you said, Lord, you said, you said to me, I will surely make you prosper. I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea. He's pleading God's word. God, I'm trusting you to do what you said. And this is a a total turnaround for Jacob. He was not trusting in the Lord when he left the promised land. He was a self-sufficient schemer. He took things into his own hands and made things happen the way he wanted them to happen. But he's been changed into a man who relies on God.
Our prayers ought to be believing prayers like this. Asking and trusting God to be the God that He's promised to be for us. And to do the things that He's promised to do for us. Certainly to save us from our sins. And to provide all that we need in this life. Well, Jacob then takes action. He separates his family into two groups so that at least one will be saved. He's committed himself to to God in prayer, and he's prepared this great gift for Esau, this extravagant gift, and he sent the gift on ahead so that the first thing that Esau sees, the first thing he encounters, will be this amazing, generous gift from Jacob, wave after wave of gifts, uh, wave after wave of flocks and herds and servants. And he told him, tell Esau that all these animals belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord, Esau. Jacob's hoping to appease Esau, hoping to soften his heart with these gifts so that when they meet, Face to face, hopefully Esau will not be in a murderous rage like he thinks he is. You know, I first began to look at this passage, I, I thought, boy, Jacob, Jacob's fear is over the top here, and he, and he seems to be groveling before Esau here. It seems, seems wrong. But he had prayed in faith. And he seems now to kind of resort back to uh, just scheming in setting this big gift before Esau and his fearfulness. But I changed my mind. I didn't, I don't think this is a, this is a negative thing, the way he sets this gift before Esau. And it's certainly reasonable that he had fear. But I believe what Jacob did here was in keeping with godly character, the character that God was forming in Jacob. We don't have to see this as groveling and just an act of desperate fear. See it as genuine humility from this man who has been humbled by his trials over the years. And he's a man who knows how badly he wronged Esau. He knows he deserves Esau's wrath. And he's humbling himself here. And that's a beautiful thing. He had brought Esau's anger on himself. And he regretted it. But it's beautiful to see the humility he shows here. He's grown in humility. In God's kingdom, we grow by becoming more humble and by learning to count others as greater and as more important than ourselves. We grow in putting others before ourselves. Jesus said, if you want to be first, you must be last and a servant of all. 
And we see Jacob thinking of himself that way here and acting that way. He's doing that by calling Esau Lord and calling himself the servant. And I don't think he was just trying to get out of trouble and butter Esau up. He's grown. This is just the opposite of how he treated Esau in the past. And so in this too, Jacob gives us uh, an example. We have that beautiful model prayer, and we also have his behavior as a model here. And of course, this is the Lord's doing, seeing this character in Jacob. God had transformed him. God had worked this humility in Jacob by his grace. He's been sanctifying him. God does that. He produces his own good character, his goodness in his people. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I think that's what we're seeing here. Again, that's so beautiful. This is not just a man scheming. This is the fruit of the Spirit coming forth in his life. And we have to praise God that the Lord is doing that work in each of us as believers in Christ, too. He's doing that work in our lives day by day, sanctifying us, transforming us, renewing our minds. And he's going to carry on that good work in you and me as we continue to walk with him by faith and in obedience to his word. May he help us to do that. It's so good and praiseworthy that he does this good work in all of his children. Let's ask him to do so. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for how your spirit works with your word to change us. We thank you for the example we have set before us here of faith and obedience. We pray that you'd cause us to grow in these ways also. We want to be those who live in faith in you and who call on you in believing prayer. We want to have the, the comfort of knowing that you're with us, the assurance of your grace to us. And we want to please you by walking in obedience to your word. And we confess that we don't even have what it takes to do that, uh, even a little, apart from your grace to change us and help us. We thank you that you're so faithful to do that good work in us. Help us, Lord, and change us and make us to be faithful to you all our days. We depend on you to do that, and we ask it in Jesus' great name. Amen.